Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. And uh, today uh, we're on the mic a little early than usual. And this may be for us a short uh, program. Uh, but Teal and I have both seen Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. We got out to the theater uh, to see the movie. And since it's still fresh in our mind and we haven't had a chance to really dissect it between the two of us, we thought, hey, why not just get on the mic and do an episode strictly on that? So uh, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Deal is here, and we're going to talk about Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Martin Scorsese at 80 years old making this movie. I know he's proving Quentin Tarantino wrong that your yes. best years are out of 60. <laughs> you should hang it up, according to uh, Tarantino. Yeah, because what, what did Tarantino say? He doesn't want to be an old man making old man movies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I that definitely applies to like Clint Eastwood. But I would argue that Eastwood was always making old man movies. Well, you know, Clint Eastwood, he kind of makes projects kind of like Woody Allen, where it just keeps him busy, and right. once in a while, something interesting would come up, but more often than not, it's pretty simple. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of the last really good Clint Eastwood movie. Maybe it was the Grand, Grand Torino, maybe? or Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, I mean, but American you Sniper made- The Get Off My Lawn movie? <laughs> I didn't see the Get Off My Lawn movie. I, oh, I oh American was, Sniper came after that. Right, right. Well, I yeah. guess that was his last like major success of a film. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see uh, I didn't see Sully. Oh, you know, <laughs> that was, it's pretty, it's again, it's that straightforward, like just making a film, telling the story, getting it out. Not, not, not that interesting. Yeah. And so I see those as being the old man movies that Tarantino is talking about. I also feel like uh, Fablemans is uh, is an old man movie. Oh, well, screw you. <laughs> In the sense that, you know, when you're old, you're looking back at your life. Well, clearly the Gen Zers weren't into it. No one was into it. I think that there's just something interesting happening where Spielberg, like... People are now like, yeah, they just think of him as this old guy. And for whatever reason, unless he's doing like, oh, we want him to do, you know, dinosaurs type thing. Right. Or some kind of thriller. But, uh, you know, Scorsese, not that he's making 100 million, uh, you know, box office smashes. Right. But he is still putting together, you know, interesting uh, films. And also, I would say that they don't all fit the sort of Scorsese template. Like I think if you took his name off of this new movie, yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon, and you put someone else's on there, I wouldn't watch it and go, oh, wait a minute, Scorsese must have done this. I felt it was a little bit different for him. It doesn't have, you know, it's interesting because early Scorsese has some flashy stuff going on. Uh, even like in Mean Streets, I'm thinking of the shot where the camera is like attached to Harvey Keitel. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's all style, that movie. Yeah. So lots of style, right? And and Goodfellas, tons of style. But as Scorsese has gotten older, he's toned down the style a little bit, I feel like. And so The Killers of the Flower Moon is not flashy Scorsese. It's subtle Scorsese. There's camera work in the in the movie, 
but it's very purposeful to the story. Yes. But like he's not doing those like slow down, slow motion shots or like very fast. And yeah. he employed those techniques in The Wolf of Wall Street because the up-tempo guys on drugs and there's a lot of energy going on there. It fit the story, yeah. And, and I feel like he is fitting his style to the story in a way that like you know clint eastwood doesn't or some some of these old guys i think get into a routine and i feel like spielberg's in a routine with uh janos kaminsky pretty much all the movies look the same yeah now here um he's been working lately um last several films with cinematographer rodrigo prito yeah and they've you know, he got nominations for cinematography for The Irishman and also Silence, which is really the only release other than Look Who's Knocking at My Door or whatever. Yeah. Um, I've seen every one of Scorsese's movies except Silence. Oh, you haven't seen it? No. Have you seen Silence? No. No, it's one. You know, again, I didn't. You suggested this last minute that we would do this, but yeah. that would have been something we could have watched it. We, you know, we, we, we missed that opportunity, but, and I've heard people say that that's like one of his greatest films. Too. I, I saw a poll the other day and I didn't trust the poll and, it, and that person seemed to be going for some odd picks, but their favorite Scorsese movie is silent. So I, I, I am curious. So I didn't know you'd actually go out and see this thing because, you know, you, I figured you were a wait for Apple um, kind of guy. And me, I knew it was a widescreen movie. And I also felt like if we want more types of films like this from filmmakers like Scorsese. We got to go out and support it. Otherwise, yeah. the message is uh, these, we don't have to. Like, this could have easily been like a two or three part series on a streaming. Absolutely. Could it, well, it could have just. Uh, oh, The Irishman did play theatrically, didn't it? Bruce? I am one of the very few people that saw it in the theater. <laughs> I I was I again Scorsese gets me to the theater. I felt it very yeah. important and I couldn't believe that my now shuttered cinema in town that never reopened after COVID and now is becoming a planet fitness. Um oh, how sad. They were showing it and I went and saw the film. And of course that movie was like three hours and twenty five minutes. So yeah. it's on par with this film. Um, and of course, I know that the length will scare people, which is weird. They, it doesn't scare them. They'll watch like uh, five episodes of uh, The Upside Down there, Stranger Things. Right. But yet, oh, three and a half hours. I can't handle that. I'll go see a concert movie for three hours with Taylor <laughs> Swift. And my, uh, but, uh, you know, three hours and a half of, of, of like, uh, you know. Scorsese, I can't do it. I got to say, there's something nice about, uh, I, I went by myself. I was, you know, alone in the theater and um, there were other people there, but something nice about, okay, I know I'm going to be here for another three and a half hours. So I got, just got to relax. Like I can't be impatient about it. Uh, I just have to sit and let the movie come to me. And if you're impatient, uh, don't go see this movie if you're an impatient person. I took my oldest. He he likes history stuff, so he wanted to see it. And I think he found it a little slow. But he wasn't, you know, he wasn't falling asleep or anything. He just found right. it maybe a little slow. I checked my well, my phone a couple of times to see what time it was. Just curious. Yeah. I wasn't really uh, bored. And so then it was over three and a half hours. I didn't really feel like it was that long. Because um, it's an interesting story. Yeah. I mean, but my, my thing was I walked out of the screening. I had read the book. And it takes a drastically different approach to the material. I haven't read the book, but you were mentioning that that it that it actually has that the book actually has a different point of view than the movie. 
it's interesting. I, I feel like this is uh, what happened with the book Clockers. Oh, yeah, yeah. So in the book Clockers, uh, Richard Price, uh, I, I love that author, and it spends equal time with the cops trying to solve the murder and yeah. then also the the kids that are involved in the story. Yeah. Yeah, the book, the book goes back and forth. Yeah. And so it was originally going to be Scorsese was going to make it. Oh, that's right. And he dropped out and he gave the project to Spike Lee. And when Spike Lee took it, he decided that the story he was interested in telling was primarily um, from the kids in the neighborhood, the yeah. drug dealers, and put the action there. The cops were side elements. Yeah. So it was interesting to see how a film can take essentially the same story, but change it. And yeah. so in this case, it started out its life, Killers of the Flower Moon, where it was going to be more like the book. Now, it's a true story, right? It's absolutely true, yes. Okay, um, just, just I just needed to make sure, because I haven't done any background research on this. I, I tried to see the movie as blind as possible. It's a really fascinating subject, and I think the book, it, it's hard in a movie to kind of yeah. capture the nuances, but basically it talked about the Osage Nation and the U.S. government put them on a reservation, all this land that was worthless, but it was also worthless to them in that it was not good, it was not fertile ground. Right. You couldn't, nothing could grow on it, and it was really terrible. Um, and that's just, again, one of the many smites of, of the way yeah. that the government treats uh, the indigenous people <laughs> of the country. And then... What happens is there's a reason why things weren't growing because <laughs> there's oil on that land. And <laughs> suddenly bubbling up out of the earth. Yeah. The Osage nation became one of the wealthiest peoples in the entire United States. Oh, I no, I thought it was in I thought it was like the richest per capita yeah. in the world or something. Yeah, at the yeah. time, yeah. So like what happens then suddenly the the white man and America's like, oh shit, well, how do we get control? And yeah. there were all these crazy laws. Now they allude to some of it in the movie, but I don't think that they did a good enough job. They didn't explain about who's restricted and who's not restricted. Yeah, they didn't explain. Yeah, yeah. So, so there was this crazy stuff where you had all this money, right? But they put all these wacky laws and determined it was, it was almost like Jim Crow, but on the reservation. And that, right. oh, like most women, they could not be competent to oh, so handle their finances. So they were labeled incompetent and they needed somebody like a husband. And right. preferably, if you wanted access to your money, you might want to get a white husband. Right. So it's like Britney Spears. Yes. Right. So they were keeping the <laughs> Osage. And then what was happening in this one town, they basically were trying to like, um, well, they labeled the Osage nation as these like troubled people that aren't healthy right. and all these other things. And they just happen to not live long and they were murdering them. <laughs> um, and like nobody was batting an eye. I mean, the nation was upset, but there was nobody they could turn to. Right. And they were like literally the victim of the white man at every turn. And, and how many, there were something like 30 murders. At, at, right? Well, 30 confirmed. It could okay. have been more. Um, and so the book builds up a lot of those murders and how like investigations seem to go nowhere. And anybody right. that seemed to have any information about it, they turn up dead and it's getting so out of hand that eventually um, the Osage Nation reaches out and forces the government's hand, and then the newly developed Federal Bureau of Investigation 
sends out men to that guy White, which is played by Jesse Plemons. Yeah. They go out and they start, you know, using methods and stuff and using uh like evidence smuggling in spies and evidence and stuff <laughs> like that and you know they 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 like beat them at their own game and they figure it out and i would say that molly burkhart's husband in the book yeah he isn't as strong a character so they you know that's a story that typically hollywood would tell right a really right like- which which is from the investigator's point of view which is sort of a procedural putting together a like we've seen that story quite a bit almost every time and then there would also be like yeah. you know it would there would be some like you you would get reveals of like oh my god this is who's doing it you know they're using all right. the techniques of film to suspense and of course depending on the period of history just reinventing facts to make the story better Right and more suspenseful. Absolutely. And at the end, this thing happened to the Osage Nation, but it would really be like almost like Mississippi burning, where you get a couple right. of white guys kicking ass on the racist white guys, and then yes. where are the black people in the story? That was the big problem with Mississippi burning. <laughs> and even at that time, people were like, "This is supposed to be a story about the people and the and the awful things that were happening to them," but instead, it's like uh, Gene Hackman, the awesome white hero. <laughs> Kicking ass, <laughs> bending rules <Yes. laughs> to get things done. So that's interesting. Yeah, because that basically Mississippi Burning is a uh, is a white savior movie, right? Yes, and DiCaprio was supposed to be the FBI agent. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what he was signed on to do. And he's reading the script, which was like super long, and and he was like, yeah. He told like he's like I don't think I want to do this movie and he's like what he's like yeah I don't want to play this guy I think that the character we should be inside the goings on and I want to play Ernest Burkhart and so I'm still kidding and he had to rethink everything and then they thought well you know we're not really doing justice to the story if we tell it in the traditional way maybe we should go inside the story and tell it so in this case we get. It, the movie, why? I, find, I mean, I didn't love the movie, but what's fascinating about it, it does something that you never see in films, where you're actually inside watching the perpetrators do shit, and and it's almost like you're you're like, wait a minute, maybe we're gonna find out these guys really aren't doing this because you're seeing them do this, like, like he's really married her and he's poisoning her to death, like what's going on? And, and to me, th- this is what I liked about the movie was this fact of it is that you're watching this guy. You know, clearly his uncle is, uh, you know, not a nice guy. To, to say the least, yes. <laughs> That's established pretty early on, right? But uh, this, uh, what's his name? Ernest? Ernest Burkhart. Ernest Burkhart. His character it's, it creeps up on you slowly and it's sort of like he's slowly drawn into this and it gets worse and worse and he can't quite back out and you and you aren't quite sure like where his morals are and who he served whether he's totally serving himself or his uncle or his wife and and his, the complexity of that character uh and the way that it creeps up on you slowly over the course of the film is something i hadn't seen before yeah, and they give, and of course, because it's not some short film, uh, he's giving us three and a half hours to do that story. I still think, though, that for all its approach, though, I still think that it kind of sells the Osage Nation a little short. Okay, I, I, I well, because I we cut out of, a whole bunch of the murder, like a lot of the book is like setting up all these murders, and I felt like, like suddenly, yeah, that all happens in the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah and then there's some other, but like it's just it, it, the movie. I don't know. There was like it, it there, there was something that just it wasn't grabbing me the way I wanted. 
what what it sounds like is that it definitely doesn't have the scope of the book. It it makes the story much smaller. In a weird way, it does. Though it's great to put. It's hard sometimes when you're going into the past and read to put visuals to things. And that's right. where I think that Scorsese really creates this world, and you feel like you've been dropped into the twenties in Oklahoma. Absolutely, it feels totally authentic. And the music, like just from the from the from the actual like you know the period pieces of music that are in there, and then his longtime collaborator and, and friend uh, Robbie Robertson yeah. from the band, he did the Irishman score for him, and they've been friends yeah. for forty years. And he did this as his final score, and then he passes away over the summer, and it's really a great score. It's really a great score, yeah. And I really hope that he gets a, a posthumous nomination because I thought it was an excellent uh, score, and not just because he's gone now. I really thought that the score was interesting. Well, I think there's definitely going to be some nominations for this movie. Yeah, I mean, the cinematography is really great. Um, I loved it. Well, and going back, just while we're on cinematography for a second, <laughs> okay. and, you know, <laughs> the frame the lighting is great but the framing is absolutely fantastic the editing is fantastic like it the movie has such visual flow to it and and such purpose and and it it really even though the, a lot of the movie is in close-ups of people's faces it, it's so well put together and it just made me think of all the steadicam movies that we see I, I every time i watch a movie that's come out recently i'm like Anybody could have directed this. Literally anybody out of film school is just doing all the expected shots and it's just textbook directing. And with Scorsese, I feel like, no, he's actually looking for new ways to visualize these moments and to tell the story. I feel so much trust in the filmmaker when that happens. Well, even though, like I said, he didn't seem like, it didn't feel like the typical Scorsese movie. From a quality standpoint, though, and that confidence that you talk about and the framing and stuff, you know, it is all Scorsese. Again, edited by his longtime collaborator, who's 83, Thelma Schumacher. <laughs> um, and so, there's you know. some brilliant editing in this movie. There's some brilliant editing. The things that he does when, and it's great even the, like with the with the techniques of then, like the violence in the movie is violent in the Scorsese way. These are not, like, you really feel that these people are being murdered. Absolutely. I like the way the violence is done on some of these killings because it's so sudden and casual at the same time. Now, you had mentioned to me you thought DiCaprio was too old for this. Um, well, he did switch roles. I think he would have been better suited as the um, as the FBI guy. I just, he's 48 and he looks it now and he just, I don't know, he just didn't look like a guy. I, I, the real guy was in his early 30s during the period right. of the time. So I know people have heart alive, but there was just something about DiCaprio that it just, I don't know. I, I He didn't work for me. Now, I thought that uh, De Niro was pretty amazing. That's the, the best I've seen De Niro in decades. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought he was good in The Irishman when he, you know, but I thought uh, he was better in this. But he's really good. Part of that is just the special effects in Irishman have have put me off his performance a little <laughs> bit, especially seeing this and seeing how 
there, there's a lot of close-ups in this movie and you just see people's faces in an incredible amount of detail and the effects in Irishman removed some of those wrinkles and details and little muscle twitches. I agree with you that yeah, you want the performance to live in, and that is another thing again. Why, why am I seeing this on the big screen? Because this film really uh, revels in those details, the nuances. I mean, again, yeah. when I say DiCaprio, I mean, you see like his eyes and his, and his just the torment of what's going on because in a weird way, he's doing all of this stuff stuff to help his uncle and he's killing these people yeah. or he's arranging the murders of all these people who are related to his wife and he's even like he doesn't know for sure but he's pretty sure that he's also yeah. contributing to her demise with poison and it's eating him up inside because part of him actually is in love with her and that yes. performance uh was the character is molly um Burkhart played by Lily Gladstone and she is just phenomenal in this movie. She's amazing. She is a fine. She's great. Yeah, she is. Well, and I don't know. I think like DiCaprio's face in this movie, I just loved watching, you know, the way he's got his his brow scrunched up, this little muscle on, on his chin, he's got tensed up. Uh, and just watching his face, I, I for me, I was like, this is maybe career best for DiCaprio. I'll see this and raise you a wolf on Wall Street, because to me, that's his best performance, and it will always be his best performance, but... Interesting. Okay. I guess I just like this movie better. That that movie is, has uh, created a bad taste in my mouth over time. What, Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. Oh, when was the last time you saw it, though? Uh, it's been a while. Oh, I, I saw I, it not I, too long, like a few years ago. It's so it's great. Okay, it's just uh, my problem with the movie is the fans. Uh, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the fans. I don't pay attention to the fans. <laughs> There's certain movies that are uh, that fit into this like uh, Wolf of Wall Street stands are ruining it for you. Yes, that's exactly the point I'm making. Maybe you know these. Maybe you have some intimate Wolf of Wall Street stands that bother you. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same with Fight Club and Joker. I, I never thought Fight Club was that great, and I watched it not too long ago because my son wanted to watch it, and, and it really doesn't work anymore. But Joker, I mean, I saw it that one time in the theater. I thought that was pretty good, but I haven't been like, oh, I got to rewatch it. Right, but my point is that both those movies, the stands have ruined it. The stands are ruining it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the stands are not fans that we admire. <laughs> I don't see that happening with Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't see it. Well, you're the Killers of the Flower Moon stand. <laughs> I, I am the Killers of the... Yeah. Uh, and so, you know me, I'm keeping uh, my top 10 list going. Yes. And and I, I decided to do it differently this year. I won't have 10 movies. Well, at the end of the year, I'll have 10 movies. But as I go, I'm slowly adding movies to it. Sure. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon right now will be on my top 10 list. Okay. Um, well, I may give it another look-see uh, when it's on Apple in another month. I encourage you to because I think... Uh, I would venture a guess that some of your response to it is based on having read the book. Yeah, it was, you know... You know, and that just happens when you read a book first, right? Of, of course, you're you, you're familiar with the events and the point of view, and the, and this is doing it in a different way, and you kind of got to wrap your brain around that. So I I say give it another shot, and I think you might uh, realize that it's uh, the best Scorsese movie in a while. By the way, I uh, read after the fact. I read the um, 
the Irishman book, the, you know, oh, yeah. I hear you paint houses. And that is an absolutely amazing adaptation. It's like they took the entire book and put it on the screen. Oh, wow. Okay. And I've read, actually, it's funny. I don't know why Scorsese, I'm not a super voracious reader, but I've read a lot of the Scorsese movies that are based on stuff. Right. And Casino, the book, is way better than the movie. And Goodfellas, the book, is not as good as Goodfellas, the movie, though it's good in its own right. Yeah, I'm not a huge uh, casino fan. I watched it again a couple years ago, again with my son. And the, the problems that I always have with casino, I still have with casino. So what do you, what's your number one Scorsese movie? Aviator? <laughs> you know, it's weird is I kind of put this on. I've never been able to warm up to the Aviator kind of like I am not super, super warmed up to this, uh, though I'm finding it. Like, I love the ending of this movie um, because the stuff we were talking about where what he didn't do and didn't turn it into. Yeah. It, it. He, he brings in with this radio program, he yes. introduces us to how white men reshape stories for their audience. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting. It sound so the, the end is sort of like uh, a true crime podcast. Yeah. Sense, but that was actually based on a real show, by the way. Oh, I know. I know. I know. But, you know, I'm kind of like in today's terms, it would be a true crime, true crime podcast. In, in those terms, it was a radio show. But uh it is a similar kind of thing but yes you're right about how uh stories are reframed but also i feel like your description of the book is closer to that radio play than the movie was yeah well and again it was written you know probably for those true crime people um and he wasn't writing it going oh of course he's gonna make this into a film um but i think that the book has all of the stuff it's just the movie chose to go hard on one aspect i mean you know the fact that uh was it the white the fbi guy doesn't come in till two hours like into the movie is pretty amazing yeah it's like a whole nother story starts two hours into the movie yeah but they, but that does help bring the energy level up i felt it absolutely does well because it, it's this slow burn and then it just it starts picking up speed once he comes in and the dominoes start stacking up and falling or whatever they're doing and uh and it does, but even before that, I'm just so pulled in by this character. <laughs> well, it's interesting is that the way justice worked back then is that like, I mean, when people are arrested, they're like in and out of jail and like Burkhart, they like call him in to that, uh, <laughs> into that like session where yeah. Brendan Fraser's that like lawyer and they're all just basically like telling him to play ball it was that's a fascinating scene it's a fascinating scene yeah i loved uh having <laughs> brendan fraser and john lithgow show up uh, out of nowhere it, again oh you asked my well my all-time favorite scorsese there's no knocking it off a of number one for me is goodfellas that's okay that's that's yeah. easy call <laughs> it's not an easy call for me that's get out i mean maybe i throw you know you could you could you could you could argue a taxi driver um you know, Raging Bull, I think that it's slipped a little bit over the years. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it may be because of the toxic male aspect of it. But, right. Uh, you know, it's still, what's amazing about Raging Bull is that when you watch it, you're like, how did this thing get made in 1980, but it looks like it came out in the right. 40s? Such a detail. It's like, it really is an incredible recreation of film style. <laughs> well, and Killers of the Flower Moon was shot on film, right? 
Yeah, I think there may have been some digital stuff, but the majority was on film. Okay. Because um, it definitely, I felt like, uh, had it been digital, the period would have felt weird. Yeah, and this is where the hues, the oranges and things yes. look so much better. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I started reading an article about how there's this guy, like a Panavision guy, and they had him like doing some like cool retrofitting of lenses and things so that it could have a certain look. Yeah, I saw a little behind the scenes thing and it looked like they were using some old cameras. Yeah. So, and again, it's like, you know, these are subtle things. And so I don't know how it's going to look and play on a small screen, which is where most people are going to see it. But uh, I, again, even though I wanted to walk away going, oh my God, the greatest movie I've ever seen. Like, I, and I didn't get that, but I am so happy I went and saw it because I, you know, it's important to go see these things in the, in the theater. For me, it is. So I, I also didn't walk away with, oh my God, it's the greatest movie I've ever seen. But I think I did like it more than you did because you said you didn't quite click with it and, yeah. and I clicked with it. So uh, I think that's the difference. Well, here. it's also interesting is that without you knowing anything of the story that you have to like, how does the, the storytelling, does it give you and what does it give you and that experience? Yeah. And of course I had the prior knowledge, but one of the things is if I see a movie first, sometimes, and you know that I'm going to see it, mm-hmm. you'll ask me, so what do you think? And <laughs> I know that you had said you wanted to see this in the theater. Yes. I wasn't sure that you would actually get to the theater to see it because it's a long movie and you're busy, but I knew that if I told you that I saw it and didn't love it, like I, I wouldn't even say I didn't, I liked it. I just didn't love it. But if I didn't give you that review, <laughs> I knew that you were not going to go and see that movie. So I strategically left out all details. I just did not give you anything. Well, and I probably, I might, because I did ask you at one point, is it worth it? And you said, Seeing the new Martin Scorsese movie in the theater is always worth it. See, yes, right. So you, but I, and I decided not to press because I was. I decided, okay, I don't want to know anything. I, I don't want to know more. But I, I, looking back over the text now, uh, after you revealed this, I looked back at the text and I was like, how could I have been so dense? <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know I, I have I have a cold. I was trying not to know too much about. It. I, I was just kind of out of it. And I didn't really connect with what with your absence of thought on it. Uh, and so I'm glad that I I, I avoided that uh, until after I'd seen it. But also the other part of the the trick here is uh, you know it came out Friday, and I thought okay maybe I'll go next weekend, right? This coming weekend. Uh, and I went to look for tickets and it was in hardly any theaters starting on Friday, this coming Friday. Uh, and so it was really just on the good big screens for a week. And then it goes to like the little tiny screen for another week or two, and then it's gone. And so I decided I really had to see it this week and went, uh, Tuesday afternoon and, uh, did get to see it on the bigger screen and the multiplex and all that, but. Yeah, I could have gone to see it in IMAX, but I wasn't going to drive three hours to see that. <laughs> but it's really not, it, it, it's not a, a big theatrical release. Apple, I think, doesn't care as much about the box office, even though the movie did fairly well. It made like $24 million. Which is weird, is that sometimes $24 million sounds like a box office disaster, but the critics have decided that that is good for this movie. And I guess the whole thing is, is that 
Apple looks at this as a way to advertise. Well, look, we've seen the movie and we're yes. talking about it. We know yes. that you out there, the listener, maybe a couple of you will try to see it now in the theater, but you're probably going to be like, shit, uh, when's it going to be on Apple? Do I have Apple? I, maybe I yeah. should get Apple. And yeah. that's what they're hoping is that it'll generate that kind of buzz so people will check it out on Apple when it's on in another month. Exactly. Yeah. And hopefully it'll be on. Well, I don't know. They haven't announced a date, but I think that the sooner the better for them because they can capitalize on this buzz that they're getting going from critics and whatnot. Uh, and it does have buzz. Critics love this movie. They do, um, you know, and I think some of it, you know, they get like Scorsese automatically gets you like a higher rating kind of thing. Like I think yes. critics give them, though there's this one and I think it's a very, it, it, it's it's so wrong, uh, a take on the movie that. Uh, oh, the Armand White? The National, the, was it Armand Wright? I thought it was another reviewer at the National no. who wrote it. it <laughs> you know. Yeah, I read the whole review. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't. You know, read up on the history. But there isn't any other way to frame this movie. The fact is, is that white men did everything they could to obliterate the Assad nation to steal the money that they were getting from the oil. Yes. that's the story. They're the ones that murdered it. The the people. Uh, I don't know what what he's why he's all upset. Uh, well, it, but the thing is that didn't even and it and it, it hurts him as a critic because it looks like he's just trying to like well. I have to now cater to a certain audience expectation for the National Review and have to label everything with a woke button on it. But the thing is, I didn't see the film as political because the white man in the movie is not the government. The government, the government white men actually turn out to be good guys. To a degree. I mean, again, they did kind of talk about at the end, but like, you know, the reality is these guys didn't go to jail for the rest of their lives. And they out, outlived Molly Burkhart, in a sense. And My point is that it's not a movie about how the United States committed genocide on Native Americans. There's other movies for that, right? But <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a whole history of that. There's but, a whole uh, history this, of that, but, but uh, that's not what this movie's about. No, this was one white community around the Osage Nation trying to take advantage and kill when they needed to because they wanted to get the head rights or whatever is what they were called. Yeah, which could have been explained a little bit better. Well, again, you know, think about it. You're marrying into these families and you get things signed over. So then you are the legal owner. And if you can get rid of enough of the lines of the family, you suddenly get control over the oil. It's so twisted. I mean, it's it's almost Shakespearean, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I read in the book, you're outraged. <laughs> and so, well, but this is what I liked about the movie is that my outrage built very slowly over the course of the film. And as I got to know this character, I became more outraged. Then the character that I have at the end is somebody who's very different than I had at the beginning uh, in terms of how I view them. Because I didn't know wh where this guy was going to go in the story. See, and I did, but you didn't know that he was going to be a bad guy necessarily. <laughs> no, I didn't know he was going to be a bad guy. And, and so I kind of kept thinking, oh, maybe this will be the thing that's too far for him. Because the brother is much farther along in this criminal activity. And so I kept thinking, okay, at some point, maybe he's going to turn and say, I'm not going through with this. And so that created a whole tension for me that uh, wasn't there for you. Yeah, well, he arranges to have his uh, wife's family, remaining family, blown up. <laughs> it's kind of like, at that point, you're like, oh, okay, I think I know where this guy is. <laughs> yeah, no, at that, at that point, but that's like two hours into the movie. I know. And that happens earlier in the book, too. But. Okay, yeah. 
so I think the structure was very interesting to have this villain as the point of view character. I just, uh, I thought that was a brave thing and it, it could have easily been just a police procedural and it's something uh, different and more than that in some way. Yeah, and that's, that's again, I think from a film going experience and that satisfaction that you want, Scorsese doesn't give you that because he's not giving you what we all expect. And so this is maybe more interesting, and that's where I'm, you know, having to meditate on the film a little bit. But it's obviously a richer film than your typical outing at the movies. Absolutely, yeah. And I, uh, uh, you know, it's only been 24 hours since I saw it, but uh, I couldn't get it out of my head. It was just, uh, after I walked out of the theater, it just kept coming back to me. And so it definitely wasn't a uh, in one ear, out the other kind of movie for me. I think this is one of the first times since we've been doing the show where you've had such a strong, positive reaction to a movie that I wasn't as strong. It's normally the other way around. It's, you're right. It is normally the other way around. So this is kind of fun. Yeah. And that's where, again, we want to get on the horn because by next week, we have already forgotten some details. It, so. Well, exactly. And I knew and once I realized we kind of disagreed on it a little bit, I thought it would we really needed to talk about it. So, um, yeah, but you but you're recommending it. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I just, again, this is my own preconceived notions. I knew what the story was. Yeah. I knew it was awesome. And it's Scorsese. So I'm like, oh, this movie's going to kick out. Plus, I also, you know, I didn't read any details, but I knew the hype from the critics. So I'm thinking, right. oh, this is going to be, you know, it's going to be awesome. And it just was just not exactly what I was expecting. But yeah. it's, still, it's, it's still good. And I'm hoping, again, people check it out, whether they see it in the theater or whether they see it in Apple in a few weeks. But definitely keep it on your radar screen. And maybe we'll check in with you on our year-end episode to uh, see maybe if it has made your top 10 list after a second viewing. We'll see. Uh, you know, we've got some movies still coming out that I'm looking forward to. Uh, and I could give you that list, but I'm not going to. There's <laughs> definitely some things. Well, there's the poor things, the Yorgos Lothamos. I'm looking for that. Um, yep. And then, of course, obviously not looking for uh, critical reception, but this movie just looks like the ultimate turkey. And in no way am I going to see it is that Marvel's movie. Oh, Jeepers, so bad. At, at My kids keep talking about it. How like I'll never see that movie, Dad. At some point, I, I feel like one of these Marvel movies is going to bomb. This could be the one. It looks horrible. It looks horrible. It looks horrible. It's really meant for people that if that's what you like, then they've I guess that's the audience they're catering to. But you should, as a as a viewer of movies, people out there in the audience, you should rebel because. You deserve better than what they're going to give you. So my my older daughter hates Marvel for endless reasons, which I won't go into here. But she goes to see every movie in the theater because she has a friend who's obsessed with Marvel. And so that's who the audience is that they're catering to is the people who insist on seeing every Marvel movie. I know a couple of those people, <laughs> but I've now I'm off that. I just like... I, it, I'm, I'm not a fo it's no longer a FOMO for me, right? The fear of right. missing out. No, not at all. FOMO. I, I, I haven't. I don't care anymore. I haven't seen the last couple of movies. Uh, my family watched them at home. Uh, one daughter saw one in the theater, but basically, I haven't. I haven't seen Wakanda. I haven't seen. I haven't seen that. Uh, I haven't seen the last Ant Man. I haven't seen the last uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. That was good. I was shocked. That was not bad, though. Though it has some of the problems that I have a big issue with Marvel on 
um, and that has a lot to do with these action scenes. But uh, I enjoyed it. I thought that it had the spirit of the Guardians films that I liked. Um, but then this is where I've now I'm so off the bandwagon that that season two of Loki is on. Oh Disney yeah, Plus, and we just haven't even gotten to it yet and no rush oh i'm in no rush on that one i i will watch that when uh the rest of the family demands my presence yeah so you know that's just again until i guess people stop watching these movies then they have nothing to worry about but they're really not putting out a product that's very interesting in my opinion i think the luster has worn off uh to some extent so well because that generation of kids have now grown up yeah and I don't know if the younger generation kids are that invested. Well, maybe if they have Disney Plus, they're hooked on the Marvel movies, right? Yeah, maybe. Anyhow, uh, I think Scorsese should do a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, we know. As his swan song. Well, this could be Scorsese's last movie. Well, that's why The Irishman, I wanted to see in the theater, because that could have been his last movie. Yeah. <laughs> and he gives us another one. The guy just keeps making them. And- I did see a quote from him recently where he talked about how he's so old. It makes him sad that he's so old because he has so many more movies he wants to make that he knows he won't be able to make. Yeah. And he said something the other day, too, that something about like some film that if he made it, maybe he'd have to like work with another director on oh really okay yeah so i mean you know look guy is 80 um he's, so, he's yeah, 80 yeah this could be the last one because these movies are taking longer for them to come out yeah so you know like i mean the irishman took like three or four years <laughs> right yeah and this uh you know i mean it, look it could have been a disaster right it could have been marty's last movie sucks but it's actually good No, few things are. I watched I watched a chunk of that not too long ago myself, and I'm like, yeah, still just you know, there's some interesting visuals in it. Yeah, but it spends way too much time with him and his germophobia, and it, and it just kind of bogs down. Okay, I only saw it once, and uh, I, you know, I didn't love it, so I never ran back to see it. But I didn't know about it at the time when it was happening. I thought it was weird. But I've really come to appreciate their recreation of two-strip Technicolor for a chunk of the movie. Oh, yeah. I just couldn't understand. I'm like, why Why are the things looking so weird and blue and green? <laughs> and uh, I recently saw Criterion had, in their uh, pre-code horror, they had this thing, Dr. X, and it's one of the last two-strip full-length movie Technicolor films. Oh, wow. And it had been presumed lost. They had to film it... Uh, in black and white and color, uh, two ways, even though Technicolor was pissed right. at that. And so for most of the time, they just showed it in black and white. And they thought that it was lost. And then, like, I don't know, maybe early 70s, after like Jack Warner died, right. they found a whole print in his private collection. Oh, wow. So then it got restored by UCLA. Um, it's not the greatest movie, but it is a trip to see these two strip yeah. Technicolor. It looks so weird. That is very cool. I, w- I will have to check that out. Is that a Halloween recommendation from you? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say it. Like, I, it's a curiosity. Okay. <laughs> More it's, than a recommendation. It, it, it's a footnote in cinema history that's interesting. Yes. Yeah, maybe. Like, I think that um, what is interesting is it's directed by Michael Cortez. Oh, yeah. And he also directed the, the Wax Museum that was yeah. also the two-strip Technicolor. And that one is not on Criterion, but that one's more interesting. 
Okay, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Oh, you haven't? No, oh, I really don't cool. think so. Yeah. I like a lot of these old uh, pre-code horror things. Um, but you don't like silent films, so there's a there's a short there's a short window there for you between the beginning of talkies and the uh, and the beginning of the code. There's there's like a seven year window for you. So there's another code one that they've had on Criterion before, and it's on this collection now, and it's really out there, and it's really creepy in parts, and it's called Black Cat, and Edgar oh, yes. Ulmer directed it. Yeah, I've heard of it. You got to watch that thing. That thing is just weird stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And there's some really creepy parts. I mean, really creepy parts in it. So if I find anything that's old that's actually creepy, I recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right, everybody. Um, Again, it may be a few weeks before we get back on, but we've got this episode for you earlier than we anticipated. So enjoy it. Enjoy. Thanks for listening.